Hello, you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, we're going to be closing up our series. If you've been with us for the past several weeks, you know that this is week five, going through the book of Nehemiah. And we've coincided this time of the book of Nehemiah with our 21-day prayer and fasting, which ends today. And so for those of you who've been part of that since the beginning, I hope that you've been able to experience an intimacy with God, that you've been able to pray and to see God working in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, that you've drawn closer to the Lord. And in so doing, uh, we all are drawn closer to him together. And so uh, we are concluding that uh, today is the final day of that fast. But we've been looking at this. In the very beginning, week one was talking about the burden that Nehemiah had for his city. So he weeped and he mourned and he prayed and he fasted for his city. We see how he had to have a boldness to go to King Artaxerxes and to ask for the materials and to ask for the freedom to go back and to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. We talked about how there were builders who had certain responsibilities who were bought into the vision and had to be all aligned in order to see this project come to fruition. And then we talked about uh, the fact that not only was it boldness, not only was there that, but that there was battles that were going on, opposition that the people faced. What we're going to pick up our story today in Nehemiah 8 is, is after the opposition. But before we go into that, uh, I want to start our, our sermon today is building God's kingdom. And so we've talked about the city a lot for the past few weeks, but now we're transitioning to what does it look like to build God's kingdom? And many of you have a familiarity with, um, well, Nehemiah 6. Nehemiah 6 it shows the completion of uh, the building of the wall. And again, this is something that there's even more opposition in, verse, in chapter 5, which we didn't read. More opposition in chapter 6 from Sanballat and Tobiah, those same enemies that we saw last week. But we want to conclude from this idea in verse 15, that through all the opposition, through all the difficulty, all the burdens they faced, verse 15 talks about how, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. So no matter all that, or in light of all the opposition, all the difficulty, all the organization, everything that Nehemiah put into this, recruiting people, getting them in the right place, having them work hard, having them protect their family, it only took 52 days to do something that was incredibly life-changing, something that was a huge project, something that had not been done for over 150 years, the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. And Nehemiah from the vision of God to the power of God, was able to lead the people to do that in 52 days. And you would imagine that right after this in verse, or chapter 7 or chapter 8, that there would be this huge dedication of the wall, this big moment. And yet, verse 7 lists out all the builders uh, of who was a part of that, which reminds us of the people who have filled out the cards and who have our names are on our wall in the back of our sanctuary today. But also, it rem- and verse 8, excuse me, then verse 8 goes into chapter 8, starts talking about the reading of God's word. So instead of there being the focus on the building, it wasn't about the building or the the wall that was rebuilt. The main focus of what's going on in this section is the rebuilding of God's kingdom. 
The building of what God had intended for his people to be a city on a hill, for his people to be a light to the Gentiles, for God's people to shine so that people far from God would come to know God and they'd be able to rejoice in a relationship with God. And so we see all this, but in order to illustrate the idea of, of, of building something, it's that uh, many of us are familiar with uh, the Field of Dreams came out in 1989, and, and you'll see on the screen there's the famous quotation that says, you know, if you build it, they will come. Now, side note, not super important, I wonder, just for a raise of hands, uh, how many of you remember it being, if you build it, they will come? So I'm assuming some of you are raising your hands here. How many of you remember it saying, if you build it, he will come? See, we all think it's they will come. The answer is it was he will come. I double-checked watching it uh, online today just to make sure. So that doesn't have anything to do with anything except for the fact that sometimes our memories play tricks on us. But the main point is the idea that the, the whole idea was that they would, if he would build this field, that people will come. The, the ball players would come, and, and including his dad. So it's this recognition that if you build it, they will come. Now, this is something that we see all the time when it comes to stadiums. In fact, later on today, this afternoon, we're going to uh, know that the NFC Championship game for uh, the San Francisco 49ers versus the Los Angeles Rams will be played at SoFi Stadium. And you'll see a picture of it on the screen. Just SoFi Stadium there, brand new within a few years. And uh, it's supposed to be just an incredible stadium. And the idea is Stan Kroenke, the one who owns this, is you know, if you build this huge stadium, people will come. There'll be people who show up, yes, for football games. The Chargers are there as well, obviously. But uh, concerts and other events would happen at SoFi Stadium. If you build it, they will come. Now, uh, at the risk of, of you know, making things a little awkward for the Niners here today if we end up losing, but uh, you'll also recognize that you could build it, but maybe the people who come are not what you expect. And in fact, as you see, uh, when we had week 18, when the Niners played the Rams on the last day of the regular season, there were a ton of 49ers fans who came. And there's a picture that shows that in this one view, there's only a couple Rams fans who are sad, and then there's a sea of red. In fact, this past weekend, the Ticketmaster and the Rams, for the first couple days after the Niners were, won their game and the Rams won and they knew that the Rams would be hosting the Niners at SoFi Stadium, there were actually Ticketmaster and the Rams cut off and said you had to live in LA to buy a ticket. Why? Because they're afraid that even though they built this beautiful stadium, the visiting team's fans would come. And it'd be a bigger turnout for the 49ers than for the Rams. Now, that, that's all fine, but we recognize they built it and they came. And yet, sometimes we recognize that people build something and it's great for a short while, and yet very quickly thereafter, it already starts to fall in disrepair. For many of you may have heard about how different stadiums that are used in Olympics, uh, for Olympics throughout um, the past several years, that, that cities, when they're picked to host the Olympics, they'll end up building these huge state-of-the-art stadiums, aquatic centers, and areas for various different events, and yet for those few weeks that the, that the Olympics are happening, they're incredible, they're beautiful, you see the impact, and it's wonderful for the host nation. But once this, the games end, are you aware of how many times those big, large events that was built, but no one was coming anymore? 
and how that impacts it. So there's a picture on your screen of the Aquatic Center from Rio de Janeiro, the Rio Olympics in 2016. And you'll see from the outside, uh, it's, a, it's a far away picture of the Aquatic Center and how it looked. But just less than a year later, in 2017, the next year, it looked like this. It was all destitute and, and didn't look good at all on the outside. What once was a beautiful arena on the outside did not look good anymore. That's not all. We also see on the inside, here's a view from where the, um, where the swimmers would go when they were um, being awarded their medals. And you see the pool and you see this long view. It's really beautiful and, and it's filled and it's wonderful. And yet, again, less than a year later, within the next year, it just looks empty, decrepit, falling apart. The last one is you see a view from uh, just kind of where the stands are. Again, same idea. It looks beautiful before the, or during the Olympics, and yet less than a year later, it looks in disrepair. In fact, they built this huge stadium. They built this huge aquatic center, and not that long afterwards, they had to actually shut it down because no one was coming, and there was this huge building up of a place without acknowledging how that was going to impact once the event was done. This is not what we want and what God wants for the church and building his kingdom. It's not about just building up a, a nice building, having state-of-the-art everything, and yet having people not connect with the Lord in there. It's not about having this big event and getting a lot of people to come to an event, but, not, but then have them leave without their lives being changed. It's not about saying, oh, if they build it, they will come. But when they come, what will they experience? Will people, when they come to our church, when they come to the churches around us, churches across the world, will they experience the hope and the love and the purpose that comes through relationship with Jesus Christ? Will they experience the eternal life to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Because you can have a big building or you can have a big event but it's not about building. A real celebration, which we will see later on in a few moments, is that the real celebration in this chapter isn't with the building of the wall. It's with the building of God's kingdom and bowing down in worship. It's not about the building of the wall. It's about the building of God's kingdom and how his people bow down in worship. We're going to pick the story up here. I'm actually going to read the very last verse in chapter 7. Uh, this is an example of when um, the last verse of one chapter, originally there weren't chapters and verses, right? Um, but the very last verse of chapter 7 actually is the intro into Nehemiah chapter 8. Because what we're going to look at here is that once the wall was rebuilt, what did the people do? What did they experience? And we have a, a slide that's going to start listing some of these things out of what it was that they experienced. So let's start off Nehemiah chapter 7 starting in verse 77, excuse me, 73. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. And then, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, chapter 8, verse 1, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. The first thing that once everything, they got settled, they, they were ready, and then coming up in the seventh month, which this date is going to be important for us to know in a few moments, the first day of the seventh month, they all come to gather together. 
And this is in, in light of a specific um, festival that would be celebrated um, throughout the Jewish history. So we'll get to that in a moment. But the first thing they did is they came together. The first thing they did on the list is that they came together. The wall was built. They ended up coming together. And they didn't just come together to congregate and to hang out. They came together to draw closer to God, to hear his word. Imagine how different the world would be, our, our, our families and our neighborhoods and our, our cities, if the people around would come together with this eagerness to hear God's word and to see what God would have for them. See, when Ezra in verse 1, when it says they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel, he was taking what we would call the, the Torah or the Pentateuch, um, better known as the first five books. So Pentateuch means five books. The first five books of our Bible, of the Old Testament. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so he just comes on this huge platform. He opens it up and they come, they came together because they wanted to hear the word. So number one is that they came together. Number two is they, the people, they heard the word together. Verse two. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Aren't you glad that our sermons are only 45 minutes and not necessarily from daybreak to noon? I mean, we think that some, some of you think that uh, sometimes we think that those sermons are long and they can be. I get that. I acknowledge that. But imagine the hunger they had for hearing God's word. And it started at daybreak and it continued till noon. And they didn't bat an eye. They didn't worry about it. They were just soaking in the reading and the hearing of God's word. He read it, excuse me, we'll continue on. Uh, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They all listened attentively to the book of the law. There's an idea that how many times uh, have you heard something, you listen to something, but it doesn't actually, it doesn't resonate, right? We, we, we do this all of the time. Sometimes it's just when there's a bunch of commercials on, you're watching something and you hear about different commercials or you hear different products and you forget them immediately. We can hear something, it can go in one ear, but unless if God is doing a work in us when it comes to reading of his word, if we're not listening attentively, then sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other. There's a difference between hearing something passively and listening to something attentively. And uh, if, you are, if you have kids or if you have a spouse and if you are having a conversation, you're talking to someone one-on-one -on -one and, and you're hearing what they're saying, but you're looking at your phone the whole time, does that, are they going to receive that with the same amount of value and appreciation as if you're focusing eye to eye and listening attentively? No, of course not. Because when we show focus to someone, when we show value to someone, when we listen attentively rather than just hearing passively. Some of us have been in church for years, and so we've heard sermons on certain topics before. We've heard sermons through different pa certain passages before. We, we feel like we know really well the story of David and Goliath or the story of the parable of, or the, excuse me, the feeding of the 5,000s or the parable of the lost son. We, we know these. We can recite them. We, that we're familiar with them. But if we allow familiarity to breed contempt, 
or if we allow the familiarity to cause us to not engage with what God has for us, then now we've entered into a, a place where we're just hearing passively what God might be wanting to speak intentionally. They came together, number one, but they came together for the purpose of hearing the word. That the book of the law had not been opened for generations. And as a deer pants for water, God's people hungered and pants for his word. So we recognize that this was something that was so important to them, so big for them. We'll continue on in the story. Verse 4 tells us who was standing next to Ezra as he was sharing. And so Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malchiah, uh, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalam. If you're with me a few weeks ago, you know that I just say those words real fast and hope that it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. So anyways, then verse 5. Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. I mean, just the opening up of God's word created so much reverence and respect from the people towards the word of God that just at the simple act of opening it, the people stood up in recognition. And then verse six, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. See, when the wall was rebuilt, the people, they came together, they heard the word, but number three, they also bowed in worship. They recognized that God was speaking to them. And when we come together, for the building of God's kingdom, as Andy Stanley says in his book, Visioneering, it's this idea that the end result of a, of a vision that's made from God and for God, the end result of that kind of vision is God. The end result is not just a big celebration of a building well done or a big celebration of a wall being rebuilt. The end result is God is praised, that people bow down and they worship him, that people recognize that he is God, we are not, and we lay down our lives, we surrender ourselves to him, to his will, because we know how good he is. That when we bow and worship, it means that we are recognizing that we are laying ourselves down and we are, we are serving God rather than asking God to serve us. That we are the ones who come before him. And in fact, the word for worship uh, talks, is specifically, it's this idea of bowing down. And we see that in the Greek um, and we see that in the Hebrew. This idea, if it's a word that means bowing down. And the people, they bow down in worship because they recognize that for over 150 years, it had been 150 years since the Babylonians had taken the exiles out. It's been 150 years since 587 BC when the people were, the Jerusalem was decimated. The people had lived who were not exiled, who lived around the area, just kind of dealt with the fact that the walls were torn down, that Ezra had come several years earlier before Nehemiah's trip, and they, they, there wasn't, the walls weren't rebuilt. Zerubbabel had come even before him in order to help institute a government. A government. Yet after all this, the walls were finally rebuilt. And they bow down and worship because just the ability to be able to celebrate 
the opening up of God's word caused them to stand in reverence. And they heard the word and it caused them to bow down and worship. So when we hunger and we thirst for God's word, it allows us to be able to bow down and worship when we hear what he has for us. And our hope and our prayer, we, you were prayed for, cared for, and loved before you showed up today or before you turned on your screen. And the, the fact of the matter is that our hope and prayer is that we don't just come together just to, to congregate, just to have fun. Yes, we can have fun. Yes, we can connect. But we are coming together to hear God's word, to bow down and worship to our God, to recognize that he has been faithful. Not that everything's easy, but he's been faithful and therefore, we know he is worthy of all of our praise, all of our adoration, all of our worship, and all of our love. They bow down in worship. But then, there's, there's more to the story, of course. We continue on. Verse 7. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Hakub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jezebad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving them meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So number four is that they didn't just hear the word, right? Number two. Number three talks about how they bowed in worship, but they didn't just hear it. They sought to truly understand the word. That this would be similar to having, uh, Ezra would be similar to like a pastor who's preaching a message. And then the, the Levites who are mentioned in that verse we just read are like small group leaders almost. So they're coming and they have the gift of teaching. And they're saying, here's what this means. When it talks about how we've broken covenant, here's how we've broken the covenant. When it talks about the Ten Commandments, let's, let's discuss how we've fallen short. When God told Abraham that, or Abram that he would be able to have a covenant with him forever, and that the people would be blessed. Here's what that looked like. And then we broke it. And, and now here we are in a place where we've been exiled because we broke the covenant. They're able to help understand. Because again, it's easy to have the word of God, if we're not careful, just go in one ear and out the other. And instead of hearing passively, we want to listen attentively. And then we go to seek people who help us understand what's really being said. Earlier today, uh, Elise gave me a compliment that I, as someone who's a preacher and a teacher and who loves uh, communicating uh, God's word, he, she said something where she just said, you know, dad, you're really good at explaining things. And I'm like, thank you. Like, that's really sweet. I remember uh, the same thing happened when I was in high school um, when I had a friend who was just talking about how, you know, that a good teacher is not just someone who knows a lot. A good teacher is someone who knows how to communicate what they know in a way that has an impact, right? So just being able to feel like, okay, being able to explain this, these Levites had that ability to speak and to say, here's what this means. Understand, this is not, God's word is not something that should just be heard passively and go one out the other way. It's supposed to be listened to attentively and then seeking to understand what it is that God is really saying. Because we could listen and we can have sermons and we can have the opportunity to, to just hear good things and hear about God. I mean, yeah, that is great. But if we don't allow it to change our hearts and, un, and our minds as we understand it, and then change how we live, then we're missing a connecting point. We're, we're, we're miss, there's a gap there. And so our, our sermons, they, they impact our heads and like what we think. 
They need to impact our hearts and how we feel and what we truly understand, what we truly get. And then as we see in a moment, they, we need to obey what God's word is saying. So number six, or number five, excuse me, is this idea that the people also obeyed the word. They were obeying the word. Here's what it says as we continue on in our story. Verse nine, the Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, but all the people had been weeping, for all the people, excuse me, had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. We'll stop there because again, remember, the people are recognizing now that God had had a plan for his people in the beginning, that he had a relationship planned in, in Genesis 1 and 2, that he would walk amongst his people and that everything in creation was good. And then they recognized that according to Genesis 3, we blew it. People, there was sin that entered into the world. And ever since then, we've been seeking to become our own gods, our own masters of our lives, our own destinies. And we don't think that there's any um, consequences to our sin. And so we've slowly, slowly diverted from a relationship with God. And in the covenant, when it talks about, you know, if you break this covenant, that there will be consequences and foreign nations will oversee you and all these things, you won't have the land that was promised. You won't be in, in this place anymore. They're realizing as they're seeking to truly understand what God's saying, they realize how far they've fallen. They're understanding how broken they are, and they weep, and they recognize, God, we are so far from where we're called to be. God, we've traveled down this road so far from you. We've ran from you rather than to you. We are broken rather than made whole. We're not experiencing the shalom, the, the, whole, the, the health, the well-being, the peace that you've created for us. God, forgive us. We are weeping and we are mourning. And even for us today, it's, it's we recognize part of why we're praying for our city and our nation and our world is recognizing how far gone our world is from God. We look around and there's so many things that are heartbreaking about where the world is. And yet we as a church and as the church are still here. God is not done using his church in order to impact and to build his kingdom. There are still people that you know and love most who have yet to know and love Christ, and God has placed you in their lives in order to be a witness. And so how do the people respond? They were crying and weeping, and they say, that Ezra and Nehemiah said, don't weep. This is a day of rejoice. And in fact, this is a, one of the most famous verses in um, Nehemiah, is chapter, is chapter 8, verse 10. It says, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. That's not the famous part. That's just for fun. But, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And what's interesting about that verse is that that verse, that word strength is used over 30 other times inside the Old Testament. This is the only time it's referred to as strength. Like, like, like our physical strength or emotional strength. What it's used all or every other time is used as in a stronghold or like our mountain refuge. In other words, the joy of the Lord is what helps us to have a refuge 
when we're surrounded by weeping, when we recognize our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world around us, that the joy of the Lord is what helps us to have refuge in the midst of whatever we're facing. Whether that's a medical diagnosis, whether that's a pandemic, whether that's economic downturn, whether that's relational um, disconnect with family or friends, whether that's joblessness, whether that's anxiety or depression or mental health issues, whatever that is, whatever it is that we are feeling weeping and overwhelmed and we can't make it through, the joy of the Lord can be our refuge, our mountain refuge, our stronghold that allows us to make it through. We don't have to try harder. We just need to draw closer. We don't need to have it all together, but we need to run to the one who has us in his hands. See, how is it that then they obeyed the word? The Levites calmed, verse 11, they calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day, do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They'd already had a day filled from morning, excuse me, from daybreak to noon, hearing God's word and weeping and mourning and and then feasting and enjoying. And they came back the next day. They found written, verse 14, they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary structures, shelters, excuse me, during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. So go out into the hill country, bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So here's what happened. Remember I mentioned that this is an important date in the, in the story or the, the festivals for the Jewish calendar. So the seventh month, the first day of the seventh month is the Feast of the Trumpets. And that's the way where it's, it's now like Rosh Hashanah and now symbolizes the new year. And then by the, the middle of the month, the 15th of the month, would then be the Feast of the Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Tabernacles, which is a temporary structure, The Feast of the Tabernacles was when they would build these temporary structures. They would come to Jerusalem. They would build temporary structures. And it would remind them, one, of how God has currently been faithful to them within the the harvest season, because this is the conclusion of harvest. But two, and greater in the sense of the bigger picture, is it reminded them of God's faithfulness while the Israelites were in tabernacles or in temporary shelters roaming throughout the wilderness for 40 years. And so this, this would be a tangible reminder every year of how God had been faithful when the people were not in the promised land. Can you see why this date would be chosen for this celebration? That the people had been roaming, they'd been exiled, and then even the people who were there were not finding their home in Jerusalem the way it was meant to be, with the walls rebuilt and the way that God had it. And so this date, out of all the dates, they line it up as a reminder that God has been faithful to you. 
The same God who was faithful in the desert and the wilderness for the people is the same God who orchestrated so that Artaxerxes would give all the materials so that Nehemiah could come build. He would provide the protection against the opposition of Samballat and Tobiah. He's the one that provided the workers, who provided the protection, who was allowing the people to fulfill what they were supposed to do. That God is faithful and they say, oh my gosh, we just read about it. This has not been done in the history of Israel for decades and, and, and years and years. And so their joy was very great. So the people went out, verse 16, and they brought back branches, built themselves temporary shelters on their own roots, of roofs, excuse me, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that have returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and their joy was very great. See, it had been years since the word had actually been obeyed. But those who came back from exile were so moved that, that God had worked in their lives and moved on their behalf, that they obeyed what was meant to have been fulfilled throughout the entire time. But they finally did it again, obeyed the word, and were able to celebrate. And that, friends, is where we end today. Verse, the, the final point, after they've done all this, the last thing they did is that they celebrated with joy. After all of this, we see, again, the end of 17 talks about their joy was very great. And day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So, they celebrated with joy. And again, the celebration was not about the building of the wall. It's about the building of God's kingdom. It's about building that relationship with God once again. And, and not about just, oh, we got to do this great event. And look, we, we worked really hard. But it's not about us getting credit. It's about God getting glory. And so as we conclude today, it's recognizing that as we've taken this 21 days of prayer and fasting, we could celebrate that we've made it through and, you know, without sweets or without TV or social media or, or fasting food, whatever it is that God called you to fast, we can just celebrate that it's done. But the point is for us to not just, you know, say, oh, if we build it, they will come and, and, and just have this, oh, this empty uh, idea of just, hey, there's a lot of people or we, go, we all got to do this together. That's, that is great. But if it hasn't allowed us to build our deeper relationship with God, then it would be missing the point. And friends, as we close this series, as we close this section and launch into what uh, the, the coming sermon series, my hope and prayer is that while I'm not able to be in person with you all today, recognize that we today, friends, we're still coming, to, we're coming together whether it's online or in person, we're hearing God's word. We're able to bow down in worship. We're able to seek to understand God's word and to recognize that we may need to ask friends or family members, just, you know, what did, what did you think of that? Or help me understand this. And we seek to understand that we're able to obey, that we're called to not just allow the words to be something we hear passively, but we listen attentively. And that way it enters into our head, it changes our heart, and it changes our actions and how we live. 
And then lastly, that we celebrate with joy, not because we've done anything to earn it, because God graciously gives it. And so we're just so thankful that we could celebrate what God has been doing in, in our lives have been praying and fasting in the life of our church and other churches that we've joined with in prayer and fasting. And we continue to pray. We continue to seek God. And we recognize that our job of building God's kingdom is never done. That as long as we are still here, God is using us to be a light in a dark place, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That we are plugged into the people and the purpose of the church. That we are changed by God to change the world. And that we are called to witness through our words, by sharing our faith, and through our actions, by serving our world. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for each person that, is here, that hears my voice today. God, I pray that as we hear the word being read, that we would have a renewed desire to seek out what, how to understand it and to, to obey what it is that you're saying and ultimately to bow down and worship to you. Because Lord, we know that we have the honor to be a part of building your kingdom. And we know that we want those we know and love most to also know and love Christ. And so Lord, use us as your people who love you, who seek you, who want to live for you. Use us to be that light in our city, in our nation, and everywhere you call us. And Lord, I pray that as we would all draw closer to you and then we would draw closer to one another as we draw close to you. Not just during a season of fasting. Yes, we celebrate how you've spoken and how you work. But God, may it be a rhythm in our lives that when we come together, we hear your word, we obey, we worship you, we give you all honor, glory, and praise, and then we celebrate what it is that you're doing. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. And we do. We give you all honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, Share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.